The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee, but he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst, and putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Blessed Lord, when he spoke to his disciples and those who would be gathered around him, he often spoke in terms of the things of the earth. He would speak of the fields, the soil, the trees, fruits. These are ordinary things that people had contact with on a daily basis. We all have to eat after all, huh? And so he would use these images to be able to speak to his people. It's for this reason that we see also his disciples use such imagery. Even today, St. James being able to speak of cultivating things and finding the fruits within our lives. But there are opportunities for us to reflect upon these ways in which God himself has connected him to us through trees, soil, fruits. Mother Church takes your cue from the apostles, and rightly continues this trend in so many ways. And so after the history of the church, we have days in which we celebrate these things, the fruits of the earth. We call them ember days. It is Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday that are celebrated four seasons, four times throughout the year, that we pray and we fast or at least traditionally we would have, to be able to ask God to continue to bless us as he already has. The ember days come, again, during the four seasons of the year, and they come with a nice handy, at least for us in English, uh, mnemonic device to memorize them, to remember when it is that they take place. Lenti, Penti, Cruci, Lucy. The first week of Lent, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Lenti, the week of the octave of Pentecost, traditionally, or the the week after Pentecost Sunday, Penti, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Cruci, the feast of the exaltation of the cross in September. The the ember days are celebrated on the the week following the third Sunday, which is often right after the feast of the exaltation of the cross. Cruci, crucifix. 
And lastly, Lucy. The Feast of St. Lucy in December. He's always following on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, following the Feast of St. Lucy in Advent. And so we have them. Lenti, Penti, Cruci, Lucy. But what do they mean? And what's the point? They're not frequently observed these days, sadly, because they have ancient, ancient roots and much to tell us and much to provide for us. Is these ember days, these four times throughout the year, have, it seems, apostolic roots. Certainly in the year 212, sorry, 222 rather, Pope Callistus in Rome set out the rules for when exactly the feast ought to be celebrated. At different places and different times, they would be celebrated according to the local calendar. And so you might have Ember Days one week at this parish, and you'd go down the street to the other parish, and they have Ember Days that week. And so the Holy Father wanted to, to, to make it a universal thing where the church as a whole, as a whole body of Christ, could be fasting and praying together. And this was in the year 222. And we understand oftentimes that rules were never really set down until they needed to be. And so oftentimes things would have been happening for a good long while before. Again, it was Pope Leo in the 4th century who indicated that Ember Days had truly apostolic roots from the apostles themselves. And we can see this in two certain senses. One, as we knew that the Jewish people had various feasts throughout the year and still do when they celebrate the harvests, when they celebrate the things of the earth, these seasonal feasts. So it was written into the, into the DNA of the apostles, who were good Jewish men, to be able to observe these things, to celebrate these times of the year where God has blessed us in a particular way. But also, it was a common practice in the city of Rome, where we know Peter and Paul came to be, the first, those first great apostles to Rome. And in Rome, they also had these seasonal feasts to celebrate the harvest and the seeds. In Rome, they were known as the three seasonal feasts, not yet being four. The three seasonal feasts in Rome were specifically observed in the spring for the blessing of the seeds. That God would bless the seeds that would be sown and that they would be fruitful. The second blessing or the second seasonal feast would be that of the grain harvest. When you start to harvest the things that give you bread. And the third seasonal feast is the grape harvest, where you're able to get the grapes that give you wine. You can probably see already how Mother Church saw this as a wonderful opportunity to seize, to praise God, because the things that are provided are indeed uh, bread, which is the standard nourishment for the human body in so many ways, the wine, which the scriptures tell us gives joy to men's hearts, but most especially, it's to recognize that God blesses the seeds, and then from these things come forth the two necessary materials to give us the Eucharist, bread and wine. This thing that is used by Christ at the Last Supper and given to us every single Mass, the grain and the grapes, the bread and the wine, they become the body and blood of our Savior. We celebrate these ember days from the first as a drawing close to our Lord in holiness to his grace, the Eucharist. Certainly the, the adding of a fourth seasonal feast changed that triple, uh, trying to kind of triptych, if you will, of those observances. 
But now we simply have the four times through the year where we observe these things. Again, blessings of seeds, gratitude for harvests. Over the next couple of hundred years, as these things would continue to take place, these festival celebrations, where indeed they would rejoice in the good things that God had bestowed upon the people, they would also come to pray and to fast together. So they'd become a feast of fasting, interestingly enough. And they would fast for these days, a Wednesday, a Friday, and a Saturday, that they might be able to rejoice more fully in the feast that God has given They would pray because they recognized, as all of us must, that without God, we have none of these things. Without God, you have nothing, our Lord says. But with him, we can have so many things. And so the people would rightly turn to the Lord in prayer, imploring him to pour out more blessings, but also rejoicing and adoring him and praising him for the good he had already given. And so the Ember Days continue to grow and develop within the life of the church. Four times a year, the people would stop to fast and to pray. It was within a couple of centuries that to this was added another special moment for the life of the church. The Holy Father set it forth that priests should be ordained on Ember Saturdays. That on Saturdays, after the people of God, after the entire church had been fasting and praying, these things that are powerful, that after, after these days of fasting and prayer, it is then that the fruits of holiness, the fruits of priesthood, would be given, so that the priest would be given to the church so as to be a minister to continue to provide that bread of life, the cup of salvation. The Eucharist. Furthermore, the people began to understand that they are praying for the fruits of the earth. They're praying for the fruits of the church. So why not pray for the fruits in one's own family? It became a normative thing to pray for a child on Ember Saturday. To be able to thank God, to be able, if a child was born in the Ember days... It was a special sign of God that the family had been blessed by the Lord. They rejoiced in these things. So families would go and pray during these ember days, fasting and praying, imploring the Lord for the gift of new life for their family. And how blessed it was when they received. Lastly, We know that our Lord speaks to us, and he tells us that the first commandment is to love God with all our heart, our soul, all our mind, and all of our strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. And so while these first manifestations of giving thanks and prayer for the fruits of the earth, the fruits of the church and priesthood, the fruits within within the family and the family life of children, lastly, it's to make sure that we do not deny those who are around us who are in need. And so those who would be fasting and praying would also offer the things that they were fasting from. They would give up a portion of their food and give it to those who were in need. Service to the poor and almsgiving became a trademark of the ember days. As seasonally, people would bring the goods that God had blessed them with that others might not go without. And so for centuries... Over 2,000 years now, 
Mother Church has been offering these days. I say all of this because this week, if you're not connecting the dots already, is the third Sunday in September, which means this Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday are the September Ember Days. They're days of fasting and prayer. Sadly, many have forgotten these things. But if we do not forget them, the Lord will not forget us. And if we do observe them, the Lord will rejoice that we have come and turned back to him. Much as the, the ten lepers that were cleansed and only one came back to give thanks to God, how much so the same with us. There are many who will receive blessings from the Lord, but not turn back in prayer and fasting and in praise. How graced would we be to be the one of the ten who does? And so this is my invitation to you. On Wednesday and Friday and Saturday, or one of at least, during this week, I would invite you to take up some kind of fast. It can be bread and water if you would like. It could be fasting from a meal. It can be the the traditional fast uh, that we observe during the penitential times of one large meal and two small snacks. It could be fasting from technology, which might be harder than fasting from food. It could be fasting from any number of things. But it's something to be able to offer up something of ourselves, to join ourselves to the cross, which has just been exalted, to be able to pray to set aside the time that we would have had feasting, whether on food or on things of the world, and to be able to set it aside for our Lord for prayer. It doesn't have to be a specific prayer, though it certainly can be. There are prayers, a whole variety of prayers, for praising God for the blessing of the harvest. It is the season, after all. One could pray for vocations. One could pray for one's own vocation. Pray for life within your own family. Pray for a greater respect for the life of every person in our world. Indeed, much, much disrespect is given these days to the fact of life. And in the midst of all of these things also, to give something of yourself to those who are in need, whether in service of the poor by food or by some other act of charity. It's an invitation for us that we experience today. Our Lord comes to us. He who has given us so many good things, and he simply asks for one thing, that we turn to him in gratitude, that we implore him for continued blessings, that he might show us his goodness.